Good morning, TMC. Shalom. The peace of God be with you. Now, let me send uh, my greetings from DUMC uh, all the way from PJ. We are very much in prayer. I got my intercessors to pray for all of you uh, so that this will be a great celebration. And uh, let me just share with you what the Lord has laid upon my heart even the last two days. Uh, last night when I was here at your service, and this morning, uh, and I was worshipping the Lord, you know, one of the things I felt, I felt in the last two services was this, that I felt the presence of the Lord. I felt that when I was able to worship, and one of the ways I know there's the presence of the Lord in any place that I go to, is when, when I begin, this is the, the signal that God gives to me. And different ones of you may have different kind of signal God gives to you. But to me is when I know the presence of God is there, I will be tearing, I will be crying. And last, and last night and this morning, thank you for leading me to worship. I was just in tears during the time of worship. And I knew that the presence of the Lord, you know, uh, is here. And I don't feel that in all the churches that I go to, all right? But thank you, you know, this weekend, I felt that. And I felt that as you celebrate 66 years of the Lord's faithfulness over you, and I asked the Lord, what is a word that, Lord, you can give to TMC in this celebration? And this is what the Lord said to me. And as I ponder upon the number 66, right? Now, six, if you know, you're a Bible student, six is a number of men, Okay. And six, actually, is a number of imperfection. Now, don't get discouraged yet, all right? Six is a number of imperfection because seven is a number of perfection, all right? So that's biblical uh, numerology. Now, why then 66? Uh, 66 basically says that, you know, it's a celebration of man's effort. Nothing wrong with that. Six is six years, and the Lord said to let all of you know Thank you for being faithful in your journey for 66 years. All right. Yes, you, I think you need to give yourself a clap. And for 66 years, you have been faithful. So the Lord tells me, tell them that. Okay. And we also need to recognize that 66 is the imperfection of man. And the song we sang just now, Yet not I, but Christ. So we come acknowledging that for 66 years we have been weak. We all have to come to that point in our life to recognize that we don't have what it takes. All right? We don't have. We need to recognize that in the process of maturity as you now go into 66 years to recognize that you don't have what it takes. We are weak. But guess what? The Lord is strong. So Scripture says that when I am weak, then I am Strong. So, you see, you know your Bible. It is in the weakness of our hearts, in the weakness of our flesh, when we recognize that, we learn to turn to God because we don't have what it takes. It took me many years to realize this. And until the time when I realized that how weak I am, the more I grow in the Lord, the more I realize how weak I am. Then, the more I depend on the Lord. So, I just sense that this is the message that God wants to give you, TMC. Since it's six years of faithfulness, know that you're weak, but He is strong. 
And I believe the years ahead will be even greater years. So let me pray a blessing over you as I begin you know, God's Word uh, into all our hearts here. Lord, we want to thank you again for the 66 years of your faithfulness over TMC. And for 66 years, God, they have been faithful, God, in the work that you have done through them. And so we pray for the years ahead. Father, we know because you have been with them and you have now is, Lord, with them and you will be, Lord, with them. And so we commit TMC to you, asking that in the years ahead, that glory will even be greater than the former glory. And we pray all this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, there are two kinds of people in the world. Now, in your mind, and I won't ask you to raise your hand, so don't worry, okay? But there are two kinds of people in the world. One group of people are called the chargers. Everyone say chargers. You know chargers where you charge your phone? That's called chargers, all right? And there's another group of people called Dischargers. Now, what do I mean by that? Now, have you met a group of people or a person that after spending an hour or two with that person, you go away very charged up, you know? Right? Have you met people like that? And then the thought that you have as you leave that person is this I want to see that person again. All right? So that's called a charger. So I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Are you a charger or not? All right? Only you know. Now, there's another type of people called discharger. So when you spend an hour with that person, you walk away really tired, you know. And you say to yourself, I don't want to see that person again if I, have to, if I don't have to, right? And so that's called discharges, all right? So how many of you are chargers here? And how many of you are discharges? Okay, so you need to ask yourself this question. Do you charge up people or you discharge people, right? Now, think of you yourself now as a church. There are churches that are chargers, and I believe all churches should be chargers. But there are also ch- churches that are, unfortunately, discharges. Because people come and say, I'm not coming back again. Because it discharges energy out of you. But tell you what, what I was experiencing the last two services is this. Uh, I felt very charged up. All right? I felt really charged up that if I am Penang, I'll probably come back again here. Lah. All right? <laughs> and, I pray, and I pray the same for every other church. And I pray that my church in Pataling Jaya, when people come, they feel charged up and they want to come back again. And this is my prayer for you in your 66th anniversary and the years to come. This church here will be a charger. And turn to each other now and say, you will be a charger. All right. Now, I want you to, each time you come this year, each time you come, I want you to look at that banner over there. Keep looking at that every time you come in. And what does it say there? It says, a spirit-filled, impactful church. Now, a spirit-filled, impactful church is a charging church. It's a church that when people come in, they feel charged up. So, you know, Jesus calls us to walk closely with him. And here in the passage we read earlier on in Luke chapter 5, and there we see how Jesus called, uh, you know, Peter. And there is a story, Simon Peter, that we want to begin with. And in Luke chapter 5, now this is not the first time Jesus met Simon Peter. 
This is already about more than a year now since you know, uh, Jesus knew Peter. And there is something about this story here that we need to look at the call of uh, Peter, Jesus' call to Peter. And I believe that as a church in TMC here, we need to rediscover that call. And so we want to learn from that. So here in Luke chapter 5, you know, verse 1 to 3, it says there, One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now, this is a very familiar story. And in this story here, Jesus walks up to Simon Peter, who is a fisherman. That is his, his, uh, his specialty. That is his career. And his boat is the, his workplace. So there's Simon's workplace. And the people were crowding around Jesus, and Jesus stepped into Simon's boat. And we know later on Jesus will call Simon Peter. So this is what you need to know. Now, if I were to ask you, are you a follower of Jesus? Huh? Now, how many hands will go up when they say, are you a follower of Jesus? I think, I think almost all the hands will go up, right? Now, if you are a follower of Jesus, tell you what, huh? Jesus will step into your boat. He will step into your boat. Now, what is that boat? That boat is everything that you have. Everything that you are, Jesus will step into that boat. There's no such thing as, uh, Jesus, you take this part, uh, you don't take that part. Uh. I give you this one, but that one you don't touch. Uh. All right? There is no such secular divide or spiritual divide. There is no what I call a submarine Christian. Uh. You know what a submarine Christian is? The kind of Christian that on Sunday, they all rises to the surface. Uh. And then on Monday, they sink, you know. Or they sink to the deep ocean. Nobody knows that they, there is a submarine. There's nobody knows as a Christian. And then on Sunday morning, uh, they come up again. Right? Now, this is a submarine Christian. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's not talking about you. Right? Now, there's another group of Christian called the CEO Christian. Have you heard of CEO Christian? Not chief executive officer, huh? The CEO Christian means the Christmas and Easter only Christian. And I hope none of you are CEO Christian. You are not a submarine Christian. It's as if that, you know, we can be a Christian and we are not a Christian. And then you know what? The Western world invented another term. You, either you're, called, you're not a Christian, you're a Christian, then they invented this phrase, no? Born again Christian. I was thinking to myself, is there such a thing? Is there such a division in the Bible? Not a Christian, a Christian, and a born again Christian. Now, ladies, let me ask you this question. Those who are mothers here, listen carefully here. Either you are pregnant or you are not pregnant, right? Is there such thing as, oh, I'm semi pregnant? No, right? So why is it then for the Christian we say, oh, they are the, not a Christian, you're a Christian, a uh, born-again Christian? Because there's no such thing. There's no such secular divine. 
And so I want, I don't want you to know that when, when you become a Christian, Jesus steps into your life. Either you are a Christian or you're not a Christian. Does it mean that you are living in perfection as a Christian? No. The Bible often tells us that we are all on the way. There is no such thing of what I call sinless perfection. There's no sinless perfection while on this earth. Do you want to be perfect? How many of us want to be perfect? No, don't, don't, don't yet. Huh? You want to be perfect means you die. Alright? So I will acknowledge that I'm imperfect. There's no such thing as a sinless perfection while on earth. But you know what? There's something called sincere progression. That means what you are a year ago, you're a better follower of Christ now than compared to a year before. So no one is asking for sinless perfection, but God expects sincere progression in our life. And so Jesus will step into your boat. He will step into your boat whether you like it or not because you say, I'm following you, Jesus. All right? So remember that fact. Then we go on in that part of the scripture where it says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now remember, the night before, they couldn't catch anything. Now these are what I call professional fishermen. Now if professional fishermen are not catching anything, eh? Jesus is Jesus a fisherman. Jesus is a carpenter. So what's a carpenter telling a fisherman to fish? So Peter may have laughed at Jesus, and Jesus, you know nothing about fishing. Eh? But you know what he said in verse 5? In fact, he was trying to say, Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. So I almost want to imagine now Peter saying to Jesus, Jesus, you don't know anything. Eh? You really don't know anything. Now, how many of us here are in situations like that sometimes? In our business, wow, some of you may be going a hard time right now, especially post-pandemic. All right? You are really catching not a lot of fish. Or some of us may not be catching any fish at all. And some of us, you know, are struggling with our, our home, struggling with... Uh, some of us are struggling mentally with mental illness as well because of the pandemic. And some of us are struggling to... Maybe a student, you're struggling with studies or struggling with ministry. I know many pastors post-pandemic struggle because they could not get their members back and they have to rebuild the church again. So they struggle. And I think all of us have come to a certain point in our life, like the fishermen... I've not caught anything. I've caught anything. And now Jesus comes along and says, now, all right, let down the nets. So I think it's important for us that there are times in our life that we tried all we can and we find it so hard at times. So rest assured that if you are in that situation, all right, it is very normal because we are weak. The number six, remember? We are weak. And God wants us to recognize over and over again, we need Him. And therefore, Simon Peter is pushed to the point of saying, I really need God. And that's when Jesus called out to him. And what did Jesus say? All right, put out your nets. And then in verse 5, but because you say so. He didn't say, Jesus, you're a carpenter, you know nothing. He said to Jesus, because you say so. Now, how many of us would be able to say that? 
because you say so, Jesus, I will do it. It defies my logic. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. But because you say so, I will do it. It's quite amazing. And then when verse 6 comes on, let me continue with that. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And then verse 7, you know, it goes on to say this. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And so here you have a picture of abundance of fish, abundance of catch. Why? Because Simon Peter listened to Jesus to let down the nets when the whole night there was no fish. But because Jesus says so, he let down the nets. And, and Simon Peter let down the nets and they celebrate this abundance that they experienced. Now here is a key. Here is a key. If you want abundance in your life, if you want blessing in your life, now when I say blessing, I don't mean just material blessing. I mean a blessing in general from the Lord into your life. You know what's the key? The key is not about doing more for God. The key is not about coming many more times to church, although they are very important things. The key to receiving and living a purposeful life in God is to learn to hear Jesus. What is He saying in your life? So I taught my church for many years now, and I hope you will pick this up as well. Now listen to this carefully. One of the most important things that we need to do as a follower of Jesus, because we say He's God, right? The most important thing is to acknowledge God every day of our lives. So I taught my church to say this. Every morning when you wake up, the first thing you wake up, now let me ask you this question. What do you do the first thing you wake up? Somebody say brush teeth. Right? Very well taught, that child. is very well taught. All right? What do you do the first thing? Many of you reach out for your phone. But then you say, Pastor, because alarm ringing. Ma. But after you shut off the alarm, what do you do? You read what's the incoming messages. Many of you do that, I know. I'm not saying I'm perfect. Sometimes I'm guilty of that. But I wake up every morning now, as much as I can, as long as I remember, I will say this, Good morning, Holy Spirit. That's what I would do. And I taught my church to do that. It's incredible. More and more, my people now come up to me. You know, Pastor, every day now when I say, Good morning, Holy Spirit, it changed the way I live my life now. Because I'm more sensitive to God, to His voice. So I taught them to say, Good morning, Holy Spirit. Now, how many of you want to try that from tomorrow morning onwards? Do not read your phone first. Learn to wake up in the morning and say, Good morning, Holy Spirit. Then ask the next question, a very important question. First, you greet the Holy Spirit. Right? Then the second question is, What would you have me do today? What would you have me do today? Now, you'll be surprised that when you pray the kind of prayer, Good morning, Holy Spirit, because you're acknowledging the presence of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is a spirit of Christ. He sends a spirit. So it's a spirit of Christ. And when you acknowledge the spirit of Christ and say to him and ask him, what would you have me do today? 
you will be amazed. You will be amazed how God opened doors for you. He made divine appointments. He brings thoughts to your mind. Things that you never thought of as you go into your workplace, a, a sister came up to me. You know, Pastor, ever since I said that prayer, all these problems I have in my office, uh, God will somehow give me divine revelation. God will somehow drop something into my mind and my colleagues are amazed. How do you solve that problem? Do you know what she said? I pray. Can you imagine saying that to your office colleague? Uh, not by, I thought through it. It's because I pray. And so, I have heard story after story of people in my church. When they learn how to say, good morning, Holy Spirit, what would you have me do today? It changed the way they live their lives. And then some of us are morning, morning people. And so when we do our quiet time in the morning, now it doesn't, it, there, there's no sacred cow whether you do it in the morning or at night because depending on whether you're a night person or morning person, it's fine, Okay. But for those who are doing their morning devotion, the moment you say, good morning, Holy Spirit, what would you have me do today? You know what? When you open the Word of God, you'll be surprised how much God will speak to you. It's not just another dry Bible reading anymore because you actually say, what would you have me do today? Now, it, if you recognize by now, it is a posture that I'm trying to help you create. The moment you wake up, you are actually telling God, Lord, I'm interested in you coming into my boat. Please be with me. I cannot do life myself. Please do not go to God as a last resort. You know, I remember in 1988 during the economic downturn. Do you know churches are filled with people? And people start going to church because of the economic downturn, you know. You know, I remember in 1988 when that happened, I prayed to the Lord, God, give us more economic downturn. Because when it's downturn, people realize how weak they are, that they're no longer in control of things around them. They all start going to God. But you know what? When God answers our prayer to give us, bless us, people go back again to their pattern. They become submarine Christian. They become CEO Christian. And that is why it's so important for us to have that posture of humility. God, I need you, God. It is so important to have that posture. And so as we move on in that, when we truly encounter Jesus, so let me point you, you know, to, to this next line here in verse 8 to 9. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee and Simon's partners. Now, I want you to realize this. When G Simon Peter saw the fish that was caught, now, for many of us, when we experience the miracle of God, I say, let's, let's say you pray for something and God bless you, you know, and suddenly you have this abundance, it's amazing. You know what most of us would do? We say, wow, look at the blessing, right? Simon Peter did not say, wow, look at the fish. Recognize he didn't say that? What did he say? He said, go away from me, Lord. You see then, there's something about when you encounter the miracle giver, not the miracles. Huh? Many of us, when we encounter the miracles, we rejoice over the miracles. We forget 
That's a miracle giver. And that is why, remember the story of the ten lepers? Ten were healed. Only one came back to thank Jesus. Only one fall, fell before Jesus on their knee, on his knee, this one leper, and said, thank you, Jesus. The other night went away rejoicing over their miracles. Because every miracle and every blessing that we ever receive, the reason is not about the blessing and the miracle. The reason for this that we may be attracted to the miracle giver. It is a miracle giver that we need to take notice of. That is why a lot of people, when they pray for miracles in their life, they rejoice over their miracles. Before you know it, they become a submarine Christian. They forget God. They never acknowledge God after that until the next time they need a miracle. And that's not the kind of life that we all should live. And I want to, you to recognize this. When you follow Jesus, learn to encounter Him. That is why I taught my church to say, Good morning, Holy Spirit. What would you have me do today? The posture of humility, the posture of dependence. Now, once, once Simon Peter catches that, once he catches that, it is about Jesus. It is not about the miracles in my life. It is Jesus who is the Lord of my life the Lord of the universe, once he recognized that, you know what happened? In verse 10, this is what it says, all right? He knelt before Jesus, and then Jesus said to him, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Now, I want you to recognize. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left what? What's that word? Left? Speak to me. One more time. Everything. Not some things, you know. Everything and followed Him. Now, that's what happened when you encounter Christ. Many people, when they become a Christian, they did not encounter Christ. And let me say you very gently here as a pastor of a church. You know, sometimes as a pastor, we, we do make altar calls. And I will always make an altar call of those who want to accept Jesus. But you know what? I begin to realize this, this now. The show of hands and the prayer by itself will not make you truly a disciple of Jesus. You know? It's only the beginning of that journey until you come to the point that you have learned really to leave everything in your life. Now remember, I'm not asking for sinless perfection. Jesus is not saying that you are perfect now. For many of us in our Christian walk with Jesus, eh, there's some of the things in our life we don't give up on. You know? And Jesus had to keep working at the things that you're not giving up. And families here, parents here, that also includes your children, eh? That includes your children too. Because sometimes we hold on to our children as if our children belong to us. Or I know it belongs to you. Lah. They belong to you. Yes, I know that. But you know what? I've learned to realize that nothing I have belongs to me. My children don't belong to me. They belong to God. And I need to let God have 
them. You see, I have a lot of great plans. I have a lot of great plans for my children, no? Every parent here already have plans already. You have great plans, huh? I plan for them to do this, study this, do all these things, huh? You know what I realize? I may have a great plan, huh? You know what? God has a greater plan. Sometimes we get in the way of God, of His greater plan for our children. And therefore, I need to learn. I need to learn to let my children go. And I learned it the hard way. All right. I learned it the hard way. This is about maybe 10, 12 years ago. And one of my son, my eldest son actually, you know, when he was 20 years old, he was struck with cancer. And he had slivery gland cancer. There's a medical name to that. And he went to two operations. Now, as a, as a father, I, I, I struggled with that. I struggled with that. I remember, I wouldn't tell you the whole story. I remember one night when I was struggling with this. All right? and, uh, and the Lord asked me this question, are you willing to give up your child? All right? Now, know that I don't pray for the healing of my, of my son. But the Lord is saying, will you entrust my son to me? And I remember kneeling before God, uh, and I was crying away. I said, God, and I remember saying this prayer, no? God, if you want to take my son, I'm okay. Because your plan is greater than my plan. And I remember that night, I learned to just surrender my son to the Lord. And of course, this is more than 10 years now. He, he's fine, he's fine, okay? He went through two operations, he's fine, he went through his treatment. And today he's a medical doctor himself, la, all right? And but when I look at my son, God is really telling me, learn to let him go. And I have three sons. And I've learned to let them go. Not that I don't care for them. Huh? Not that I don't love them. Huh? I look at my three sons. That their greatness in God can only come huh, when we leave them in the hands of God. And when we learn how to do that, our children then learn to walk in faith in God. And I always remind, remind my son, my eldest son, and this is my prayer for you, son. And uh, one year later, when uh, my regular father and son time, I, I spend every week with one of them, every week, all right? And just process with them about their life, teaching them about Christ. And so I asked my son this question. By the time he was 21 years old, he was still undergoing medical training. And I asked him, son, what did you learn in the one year of cancer? You know? He looked at me and he said, that that's the best thing that happened in my life. I looked at him, strange, you know? I said, son, how can you say this is the best thing in your life? Do you know what mom and dad went through? Then this is what he said. Dad, 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 no, no, no. It happened. The cancer happened. I can't control that. That, that, that I agree with him. La. That is because in that one year, I have learned about this God that I believe in. He is so real to me in that one year of cancer. And then I look at him, and I started crying when he said that, you know. Just, just around the dinner table, I was just crying away. Then he, then he says, Dad, why are you crying? Did I say something wrong? I said, no, no, no. You didn't say anything wrong. I said, for years I've been praying, God, Give me a sign 
that my children will be okay when they go out to the world. How many of you parents pray that prayer? Do you have the assurance uh, that your children will be okay in the Lord? Uh? Not, I'm talk, not talking about okay in the career, in the family, in the, in the business and all that. No. Will they be okay in the Lord? Stay strong in the Lord. So I've been praying that prayer since they were a kid. God gave me a sign. So when he said that to me, what he said, this is the best thing that happened to me. I look at him, I started crying. He said, Dad, what? why are you crying? I said, I cried because God just answered my prayer. He said, what do you mean? I said, I've been praying for a sign that you'll be okay when you go out into the world. Son, if you can go through cancer, with all that you've gone through, with all the operation you've gone through, and your posture is in the right place, son, you can leave home now. And I know you'll be okay. I said, that's why I cried. And so when you surrender your children to the Lord, while my son was going through cancer treatment, when I surrendered my son to the Lord, there's such an incredible peace that came about me and my wife. Incredible. We cannot explain it. That when he went to the operation, my wife and I were sitting outside, you know, in Starbucks, you know, at the, at the Sunway Hospital, at the lobby. We were drinking the Starbucks, and we looked at each other. He said, this is strange, isn't it? Parents should be up in the waiting room, pacing up and down, worrying about that operation. But here we are sitting down, having a cup of coffee, having a chat, as if we don't care for our son. But we know that we know as we look at each other, because we have such a perfect peace in God that we could not understand why. Because we surrender our child to Him, even through life and death. And when we learn to do that, we then begin to understand what it means to follow Jesus. So let me ask you this question Are you desperate enough for God? Are you desperate for Him? And one of the, your desperation will come from when you wake up in the morning and say, Good morning, Holy Spirit. Some of us have not even prayed for a long time to God. And so if we learn the habit of dependence, then we learn how to invite God into our boat and He will tell us where to throw the net. Don't throw the net where He has not asked you to throw. Throw the net where he tells you, where he tells you to throw. So do you have such a desperation for God? It's like if I were to ask you right now to do an exercise, uh, please don't do this exercise, okay? I want to ask you to hold your breath for a minute or two minutes. Just hold, okay? but don't do it. Right? Some of you start fainting. Uh. Now by the time you finish that one minute, as you count down to the one minute, do you know there's a desperation that comes out of you, right? Desperation for what? For air. And when we read the Psalms, for example, you sense that desperation of David, right? I thirst for you, right? That's what he says. My soul longs for you. Now, many of us don't understand that phrase, I do But I try to understand that phrase when I hold my breath. Just to remind myself, that's the kind of desperation that I need. You're not talking about holding breath. Huh? Do you know what's the world record on holding your breath? How many minutes do you think? The world record, Guinness world record. Five minutes? Six minutes? 
Let me tell you, uh, this is Guinness World Record, right? It's, it's authenticated, uh, all right? This guy, this guy here, next slide, please. This guy here, by the name of Budimir Sobert from Croatia, held his breath for 24 minutes, 37 seconds. How, yeah. How? So, but this is a world record, you know. But I can imagine now in the 25th minute uh, how desperate he must be for air. And so I believe that in the thirsting and hungry, hungering after God must first of all be a hallmark of our life and of our church. They were desperate enough for God now to say not with man's wisdom that we can do church, that we can do life. It is in the wisdom of God that God brings us to places that will be amazing. And let me end by sharing with you a few stories here. Because these are real people in my church. I remember one man came to the church about 10 years ago. He came to my church and he's at the point of catching no fish. Everything is, is broken around him. He said his wife is about to leave him. He's high up in the corporate ladder. He's, he's interacting with government officials, very high up there. He's the man of the world, have everything, but his life is crumbling around him. So broken that he came to our church. I still remember he seated right at the back because later on he came up to me for prayer. And when he came to church, he knew that he was desperate and he wanted prayer. So he came right up to me at the end for prayer. And that is why, you know, many of us here need to learn how to humble ourselves to say, I need prayer. Right? Sometimes, you know, when we are so desperate, we still refuse to receive prayer. Then it's at our own you know, detriment. But here this, this brother, you know, came right up with two children, came up, but he came alone. Of course, the family is at home, broken family. The wife's about to leave him. And he came with so much brokenness that he cried before me as I prayed for him. Then the Lord gave me a word for him. And the word is fight. I look at him in the eye. I said, brother, whatever that's happening now, I said, you fight for your family. Because he came very defeated. And I tell him, fight for your family. And I'll pray with you that you will fight for your family. Now, to cut the whole long story short, within a year, within a year, the Lord restored his marriage, restored his life. Now, not only that. In that one year, he began to realize that he's neglected his role as a husband. He neglected his role as a father. And it was that same year that I made a call to the man in my church, all right, to say, man, we really need to get our acts together. Let's come together, all right, and do a study of how to be fathers, all right. And a hundred over men came, you know, to do that study with me. And he was one of those men who came. And he was so immersed into this whole fathering thing that he began now to walk the journey of a father with his two children and he walked it well and very intentional. And as he grew in that, God began to impress upon his heart. He said, I need to do something for the fathers of this nation. And in these 10 years, he built up a ministry today. Came up in newspaper, all right? You would have read about him. Came up in advertisement, 
all right, came out in all kinds of things on the news, our TV news as well, where he's right now, you know, running an organization for fathers. And it's called Better Dads Malaysia. But you do not know his background. His background, more than 10 years ago, was a broken man. We have given up. No fish. When the Lord Jesus took over his life uh, today, he's running a national organization for fathers, interacting, interacting with government agencies. In fact, he was appointed to sit in one of the committee. When I look at him, I told him just a few weeks ago, I am amazed what God has done in your life. You know why he can do what he do today? Because God broke him. And then he began to hear Jesus uh, do this and do that. And today he himself is amazed. So that's one story. There's another story of a couple in our church. You know, because they were, they were turned around in their lives, they begin to walk around. And suddenly, one of the things God opened up their eyes to see. Remember, good morning, Holy Spirit, what would you have me do today? And God opened up their eyes and suddenly, you know what they see? Something we, don't, we see every day, but we don't take notice. He did notice that at the end of the day, many restaurants, a bakery, would throw away a lot of this food at the end of the day. So between he and his wife, he said, let's do something. To cut the whole long story short, today they're running an organization, an NGO called What A Waste. And What A Waste takes all these leftovers from, from supermarket, from bakery, whatever it is, they will collect that and give that out to all the poor in Pataling Jaya and KL. And it's a thriving Christian ministry today and, and a lot of people don't even know it's Christian. So they just throw the net where Jesus tells them to throw. And they are today doing it full time now. It's amazing, right? And then another story, right? I'll give you four stories, then I'll end, all right? This is the third one now. 2017, this brother came up to me for prayer. A lot of things happen during prayer ministry time, I don't know. Quite amazing when people come up for prayer, right? And he came up to me and said, Pastor, can you pray for me? Of course, I'll be more than happy to pray for you. So how can I pray for you? He said, pray for me because next week, next week, I'm going to jail. All right? Wow, I said, what happened? Concern our pastor, no? My member going to jail, no? Oh, pastor, I only came to know the Lord just a few years ago, but the law caught up with me for something that wrong, wrong I did when, before I became a Christian. Oh, okay, that's before you become a Christian, that's fine, okay? No, no, don't the fine part going to jail, huh? All right? At least I know that you did it when you were not a Christian. So I said, what did you do? He said, I, I, I was in a uh, in, in business that took in illegal deposit. Gold scam, they call it. Right? And so the law caught up with me and my partners. So we were sentenced. In fact, they just sentenced uh, us. I am to go to jail for four months. And I'll be fined one million ringgit. Okay? And so can you pray for me as I go to jail? So then I asked him the next question. What do you want me to pray for you? So this is what he said. Huh? Pastor, pray that as I go to jail. When I'm in jail, I will lead people to Jesus. Wow, I say that's a great prayer. Okay, 
I will pray for you, all right? So I prayed for him. So off he went to jail, right? So he spent four months in jail. When he came out, I, I caught up with him again. I said, so what happened in the jail? Oh, pastor, amazing. When I entrust my jail term to Jesus, uh, I led quite a few people in the jail to Jesus. Uh. And I became so popular among them, uh, they all call me pastor. Because they know I'm a Christian. And I help them and I pray for them. And I led a few of them to Jesus. Uh. So they call me a pastor. And then he said, and there was one man, two weeks ago, I caught, uh, no, a month ago, I caught up with him again. He said, you know, there was this man, he's a Tai Kwai Tao, you know, the, the, big, the big head. He was in jail. He was supposed to be there for 10 years. And I remember leading him in prayer, okay, to accept Jesus. And before I left, I gave him my Bible. But I wasn't sure whether he's really a Christian uh, because he was still in his meditation, uh, the, all, the, all the religious stuff that he do. Uh, so Jesus is only a name that he called. Uh, so I wasn't sure. And what I found out is that he called me just about a few months ago. He said, now I'm out of jail. Although 10 years, he was only there half the time, you know. That in itself is a miracle story, right? Then he said, this man called me uh, because he said, while I was in the solitary confinement, I mean, he did something bad. Uh, they put him in solitary confinement. Then he said, when I was in solitary confinement, they were, we were allowed one book. Eh? So I took the book, the Bible that you gave me, into solitary confinement. And in that solitary confinement, I read the Bible. And God came alive to me in the jail, in the solitary confinement. And he was changed, all right, as a result of that, in solitary confinement. And then he was released. That's a miracle story in itself. He was released in half the time. And then he called up my friend a DMC member, and say, I'm out now. I'm in Ipo. Okay? And today, I'm sharing the gospel with people wherever I go. Right? And so what happened? Here's a brother who said, I'm going to jail, but I'm still casting the net. I'm still asking Jesus to help me when, even when I have to go to jail. So that's the third story. Let me give you the last story now. All right? So that is the the jail story. Can I move forward to the next slide? One more slide, yeah. And this, this is the story of... Next slide, please. Yeah, next slide with the... Yeah. Now, this is the story of this couple here by the name of Ricky and uh, Vicky. So they came to know the Lord only last March. That means last year in 2022. And they were both optometrists, you know, where they prescribe glasses in churras. And so one of our church members led both of them to Christ. So they became Christian and in March. And when they became a Christian, remember, Jesus got into the boat in the, of their lives. So they say that when we became a Christian, something changed in the way we do our business. So they are, they are optometrists prescribing glasses for people, looking into the eyes of people. And so this is what they said. I asked them to write me a testimony. And so this is what they wrote. Now, he, he, they wrote, God arranged for many of my customers to come to my store. Now, notice the language there. God arranged many of my customers to come. Not customers choose to walk in the door. All right? Many of my customers come to my store to talk to me every day. 
So suddenly he sees that this is a place of ministry now, not a business only. Because as a Christian now, Jesus walked, came to the boat, so Jesus must be uh, involved in that. And so he said, amongst them who talk to me are those who attempted suicide many times. Those who are depressed, those who have been under medical care for a long time, and those who have a lot of stresses in life. So he said, God showed me many people who are in great need, and they need to be cared for. So as a new believer, new believer just a few months, I can only pray for them and ask God to be merciful to them. And during this process, God used me as a spiritual baby to just pray for people. And God gave me the confidence. Then he said, one day, you know, God's calling came to me in my heart that he wants me in my shop, which is the optometrist, eh? he said, at the back of my shop to open a cafe a free cafe for coffee for people. Why? Because he said, people, when they look at me in the eye, uh, not a lot of time to talk. Uh. Maybe put a coffee at the back. Then they go and talk. Then I have more time to talk to them. So to retain them there. Then he said, God brought that thought to my mind. But then he said, I have all kinds of excuses. He said, I have not enough money. La. You know, I'm not sure whether I can sustain this. La. And then he said, oh, my wife and I, we are the only Christians among my immediate family. All right? Maybe we shouldn't do this. Uh. Now, not long after they complained to God about not doing it, eh? and this is what they say, in that one month, my closest family members, nine of them came to know Jesus when I shared with them. Eh? Right, nine in one month. And when they all came to know Jesus, he said, oh dear, I have no more excuse. Eh? And so that is in the month of March. And by the time October came, all right, they opened a the cafe. And they, you know, through that, it became a blessing, all right? A blessing to many of the people that came to the shop. And I believe that in the coming months and years, God is going to use them, that shop, to be a fishing ground for people that they can talk to because he said a lot of these people will not come to church, but they open for a cup of coffee and a conversation about what's going on in their life, and these four stories, I hope, will remind you that the greatest ministry doesn't happen only in church. It happens where you are every day. So that is why the theme for my church this year is called Wherever He Places You. Wherever He Places You is a place of ministry. If an optometrist can say, God sent customers to me for me to talk to them, or for the person going to jail, when I go to jail, I don't want to go to jail, but if I have to go to jail, I will make a difference. Okay? And if a person sees the ways around them that can be used for the good of the poorer community, I'll do it, because Jesus says so. And for the broken man whose life in the shatter, he said, I'm willing to fight. If Jesus will teach me, and today he hates a very powerful ministry out to many who are lost. And so I hope this will encourage you. And I want to end by just showing you a picture of the door going out of our church. If you come out from our church, this is a door that you exit. And right on top of that door, all right, is this, are these words here. You are now entering the mission field. 
So the moment you walk out this door here called TMC Church, eh, you are walking out into the missions field. So you never become a submarine Christian. You know why? Because you're on surface all the time. Eh? Wherever you are. And TMC, that's my prayer for you. Amen? That's my prayer for you. So why don't we bow our heads right now? And I believe that God will challenge us. God will challenge us to this message that you are hearing today. Will you be a willing vessel for God? Will you allow God to say, God, here I am. Please come into my boat. Now, it doesn't matter what condition you are in right now. You may be in, in a good season. You may be in a bad season. But tell you what, no matter what that season is, whether it's good or it's bad, perfect, none of us are perfect. But some of us are more imperfect than others. But yet Jesus is right now waiting for you to say, Jesus, please come into my boat. And if you are willing, while all heads are bowed right now, I believe that is a point of reflection for all of us before we sing the closing song. But I want to pray for you. Is there some of us here, when you heard this message, you actually understand. You say, yes, Jesus, I need you in my boat whether I'm living in brokenness right now, or whether I'm living in a time that God, you're calling me to do something, or whatever that is, God is saying, will you allow me to go into your boat? And if that's you, I want you to, at the count of three, just raise your hands where you are. No one is watching, just between you and the God. There's something about raising our hands. and say, God, come into my boat. Just come into my boat, Lord. And I believe God will hear that prayer and you'll come in too, so that you don't go alone whether you have an illness in your life or whether you have a decision to make or whether there are things that's broken around you or whether you're in the ministry and you, you want God to come in and do it even better, whatever that is. At the count of three, if that's you, raise your hands and I'm going to pray for you, okay? Ready? One, two, and three. Just raise your hands where you are. I'm going to pray that the Lord will do a breakthrough in your life. So keep your hands up because I believe that when you lift up your hand, the Lord sees that hand and this can do a breakthrough in your life. Lord, you see every hand that goes up, Lord. You know the situation of their life. You know the condition of their boat. And I want to pray that even as they invite you, as my brother or my sister invite you into their boat, Lord, do a miracle in their life right now, Lord. Do a miracle in such a way that when they see that miracle, they recognize Jesus. We recognize the one who gave the miracle. And may there be a spirit of humility in us, God, to recognize that we are weak, but you are strong. So Lord Jesus, will you come and give us what we need, Lord, to be an overcomer in the things that we are facing, but more importantly, we have the spiritual eyes to see Jesus. And so thank you for answering our prayer, Lord. And I want to pray that there will be a breakthrough, that my brother or my sister will be able to, in the days to come, to share what that miracle is in their life. Thank you, Lord. You may put your hands down right now. But I want to make one last call for those of you who may not be a Christian or who may not, you're not even sure whether you're one. Maybe you are that submarine Christian, you think. 
But I want to believe that there are some of us who may need to make a recommitment to God. You're not a Christian and you say, Pastor, what you say makes sense. I want to be a Christian. Or you may have drifted away from God and you say, I need to come back to God. So if that's you, I also want to pray with you because I don't want to leave this, you to leave this place without encountering this God. So if you're not a Christian or you may have drifted away from God, if you want me, I can pray with you. Just raise your hands and count to three. I'm going to pray with you. Are you ready? One, two, and three. Is there anyone? You have drifted and you are not a Christian. You say, I want to be a Christian today. Is there anyone here? Is there anyone here? If not, I trust all of you are in the Lord. And I pray that you will enter this journey with gladness in your heart. And remember to pray every morning. Good morning, Holy Spirit. What would you have me do today? God bless you.